So I potentially shot myself in the foot. After we talked about the 4th of July tradition of eating hot dogs, that guy ate 62 in 10 minutes, you asked me if I could eat 100 nuggies in an hour. Yeah, the, the nuggie challenge. And I said I could, but I wouldn't do it. You baited me, and I said I wasn't going to play your game, but you really got in my head. So I asked my personal Instagram followers, do you reckon you could eat 100 nuggies in an hour? 77% of those who responded said yes, and just 23% said no. And then... I took it, for whatever reason, one step further and said, I asked because Senor Donovan doesn't believe I could do it. Oh, so you shamed me. I just wanted to explain why I was asking such a bizarre question. Some of the responses I got, that's a walk in the park. My friend Anna was the only sensible one who replied and said, Uh that is a lot of nuggets. It is a lot of nuggets. I got a do it please on camera. I warned you this would happen. I know. I don't know why I let you get in my head. Why don't we just do do it as a segment and then forget about it? I know. Dangerous precedent I'm setting here. Well, I feel partially responsible for this. So if you do it, I will join you in solidarity and, and also try to do try to do the Nuggie Challenge. This has me plenty yeah. to think about. Why don't we kick things off and then we'll get planning? That sounds good to me. Kia ora, this is Newsball. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen. And this is what's worth talking about. The news the USA will be supplying Ukraine with cluster bombs has dominated headlines. So what exactly are they? And why is this a big deal? We'll also give you the 101 on New Zealand's freshly signed free trade agreement with the European Union. The Women's Football World Cup is now just 10 days away. And we're getting a few pointers on how to sound and behave like a seasoned footy fanatic. And finally, it's the World Championship that has finally returned after COVID. The one we've all been waiting for. Snail racing. (laughs) We've got all of that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. Well, there have been some developments in the war in Ukraine raising some serious questions around whether the end justifies the means. The US has confirmed it will be sending cluster bombs for Ukraine to use in the war. Now, cluster bombs are very controversial. They've been banned by more than 100 countries around the world and are widely seen as an incredibly destructive and indiscriminate weapon. Our Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, who's in Europe at the moment, has said New Zealand is opposed to their use and will tell the US and the Ukraine as much if he gets the chance. Thomas Nash is a Wellington regional councillor, but for many years he worked as a disarmament activist. He played a leading role in a Nobel Peace Prize winning campaign to abolish nuclear weapons in 2017. And he's with us now. Kia ora. Kia ora. Can you explain first up, what are cluster bombs and how do they work? Yeah, so this is a throwback to my previous life, but uh, let's dive right in. Uh, so it's basically a type of ammunition. It could be a, an artillery shell or a rocket or a airdropped bomb. And it opens up in midair and spreads out a whole bunch of little bombs in, that are inside the canister, if you like. And they're called submunitions or bomblets. And they spread over quite a wide area, depending on the type of weapon. So they could cover like a, a couple of football fields with one bomb. There's a couple of problems with them. One is that they they cover such wide areas that uh, I think, as you said, Imogen, they are indiscriminate, essentially, especially when used in or around civilian areas, urban areas. And the second problem is that lots of them don't go off when they hit the ground, so they just lie there and they go off later when people maybe pick them up, especially they're quite small, so they're maybe the size 
of a like a can of Coke or smaller. Quite a few of them have little ribbons on them, so and some of them are brightly coloured. So you know you can kids pick them up, mm. play with them, and you know then they explode and people die or are terribly injured. Russia has been using them throughout this war, and actually Ukraine has already as well. So why is this instance of the US supplying them to Ukraine a big deal? Well, I think it's a big deal because there is not a lot of transfer between countries of cluster munitions anymore. I mean, essentially, you, you know, it is considered a banned weapon amongst other types of weapons, like antipersonnel landmines, which you mentioned, uh, like chemical weapons, um, like biological weapons. Um, of course, not every country has signed every treaty banning a weapon. Uh, and in this case, obviously, the, the two countries you mentioned, Ukraine and Russia, haven't signed the treaty uh, banning cluster munitions. So they would argue, well, they're not banned for us. Thomas, just finally on this, you know, I, I think there are probably plenty of people listening to this who, who might think, well, you know, Ukraine's the wronged party here. Whatever they do to, to sort of end this is kind of morally justifiable. Russia's using them. Ukraine bulldozer ahead, you know, what, whatever ends this war, you're the wronged party. I mean, what would you say to people of, of that mindset? I guess I would ask them, are there any limits, in your view, to what can be done in war? Mm. Like, is poison gas okay? If they were using poison gas, would we say, oh, well, they've just got to do whatever they can to end the war? Like, is that okay? Is killing children okay? I don't think so, right? And so there are limits. So I guess the question is, what are the limits? Powerful words. Thomas Nash, thank you so much for your time and insight and for joining us from home with quite an excited little person in the background, I think, at times there. Um, but no, say kia ora to him for us as well. I will do. I will pay attention to him. Now, that was just a snippet of our chat with Thomas, but we are going to put the full interview out a little later today. It was super interesting. It's definitely worth a listen. So keep your ears and your eyes peeled for that. We're going to talk about our fresh free trade agreement with the EU in just a tick. But while we've got you here, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform because it'll help other people find us. Now, significant news overnight. New Zealand has officially signed a free trade agreement with the European Union. Yeah, this has been many years, seven years, I think, in the making. Mm. And the final terms of it were settled on last year, so we will forgive you for not remembering them. But we're also going to go one step further and remind you about what they actually are and, and, and why they matter. Indeed we are. So first of all, Emil, what is a free trade agreement? Well, despite the name, a free trade agreement is not about free trade, as in trade mm. that costs zero, uh, an FTA is a it's a deal that is struck between two or more countries on the terms of trade between them. This is usually around market access, so for us it could mean reductions in tariffs charged on products that we are exporting, and of course the other way around, um, products coming from there into here. Uh, it can also be increasing or limiting the amount of products that can come in from said countries. And uh, in this particular case, in the FTA with the EU, it can mean restrictions around terminology. So what are those restrictions around terminology? Yeah, this is great. So like, you, you know how um, you can't call a bottle of bubbles champagne unless it comes from the Champagne region of France? Oui, oui. So this is like the cheese. <laughs> this is like the cheese our, version. Of course, our version is the yeah. cheese version. <laughs> it would be. Yeah, specifically feta cheese. So Kiwi produces a feta cheese, 
are going to have to come up with a new name for it oh. uh, over the next nine years. And uh, the same rules apply as well for any port or sherry made in New Zealand. I'm going to suggest um, the cheese formerly known as feta. As the name. Yeah, like the artist formerly known as Prince. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like that. Uh, but that also, coming up with names is definitely a challenge Newsable will be partaking in for sure. But uh, you did also mention taxes and tariffs with an FTA. So what do ours now look like with the EU? So the tariffs on 91% of the current goods and products that we send to the EU will be removed, and that is going to increase to 98.5%. So that is for things like uh, kiwi fruit and apples and manuka honey and onions and wine and uh, fish as well, I think. And uh, it's estimated this could mean another $1.8 billion worth of exports, which is, is pretty good money. And that sounds great and uh, about as free trade as you can get, really. But that small percentage of goods that will be keeping tariffs are the major ones. So uh, meat and dairy. Mm. So our farming sector here isn't all that pleased altogether. Now, this all may sound very high level, but it is actually quite a big deal because A, the EU is our third biggest trading partner after China and Australia, but also prior to this, our trade agreement with the EU was pretty bad. Uh, The EU is pretty protectionist and it left our farmers, particularly lamb farmers, iced out. So even though meat and dairy will still have tariffs with this agreement, this could be the door cracking open and us putting a toe inside. Thank you very much for that reminder. But I think the only way to round all this out is to put the call out for alternative names for feta. Mm-hmm. Send us your options. We'll chuck something up on the Instagram. Uh, so find us there at Newsable NZ. Or if you've got plenty of options, send us a lovely long email. List them all off. Newsable at stuff.co.nz. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and, of course, everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your, your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty exciting day today. There's a warm-up match at 5.30 tonight between the Football Ferns and Vietnam. Because can you believe it? The FIFA Women's World Cup starts in just 10 days. 10 days, wow. That's crazy. 10, ten well, days. Now, you might be thinking you're not going to get into this that much. But uh, I would bet a pretty penny that that may well change once it starts because there is something, Mo, about a sports competition in your own backyard, isn't there? There is indeed. But of course, not everyone watches football. So here to give us a bit of a 101 on football banter, football bants, essentially how to fake being a footy fan in preparation for that moment you decide to get behind this competition is Stuff's Amberly Jack. Kia ora, Amberly. How are you going? Kia ora. How are you? Good. Good, good, good. First up, what should one wear to a football match? So I'm assuming that anyone listening is going to be supporting the football fans. Um, so if that is the case, uh, safest to go with the colour of the kit. Now, the football fans' home kit is black. 
So deck yourself out in black. Uh, you can go crazy with New Zealand flags painted on your face. You can wear wigs. If you are going to a stadium, just check out the rules. Make sure that you aren't taking flags that are too big. You're not allowed to take flagpoles, things like that. Yeah, just just dress up, have fun. You don't have to go in the colours if you don't want to, but don't go in the colours of the team that we're playing against because that's never a good look. Sensible patriotism there. Um, what about the World Cup Like as a tournament, more broadly? What does one need to know about the Women's World Cup? If you, if you go too much into detail, you just get overcomplicated. So the, the best way to go in if you're not a football fan is as simple as possible. Basically, the... US team are the team to watch Mm -hmm. this year. They've won the last two World Cups and it's very likely that they're going to win the next one as well. In terms of New Zealand, we won't be playing the US unless we get quite far into the tournament. We are playing three games against Norway, Philippines and Switzerland. And the basic rules of those early games is if you win, you get three points. If you draw, you get one point. If you lose, you get no points. The two teams with the most points at the end of those three games, goes through to the next round. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> what about decorum when showing support? Football matches, are they are they loud, boisterous uh, events where one is encouraged to uh, wear one's heart on one's sleeve loudly? Yeah, absolutely. Sing, dance, yell, swear. Hopefully there's not too many young children around. Um, just, just make a lot of noise. Join in the singing, join in the chanting, join in the Mexican waves. Um, just have fun with it. Revel in the atmosphere. The atmosphere is what makes a football game amazing. Well, that was going to be my final question. Is there any point watching after if, unfortunately, New Zealand gets knocked out? But it sounds like the atmosphere is the best part about it, so it doesn't really matter. For sure. And sometimes half the fun is is picking a team uh, that you, you kind of have affiliation with and just deciding to support them. Stuff have power rankings on the FIFA hub. You can find out which teams are most likely to get far in the tournament. Pick one, follow them, cheer them on, just have a blast with it. Oh my gosh, of course, this means office sweepstakes. I forgot yeah. about that. <laughs> I love an office sweepstake. Emily Jack, thanks very much for your, your time and your expertise on this one. I really appreciate it. Thank you. If you don't have time to read the in depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, Subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Fairly big news over the weekend. On Saturday, the World Championship of Snail Racing was held for the first time since the pandemic. Whenever you do those intros with the dramatic pauses, I'm like, this is going to be good. You know it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the last time the World Championship of Snail Racing was held was 2019. Uh, Sammy the Snail won that year. And this sounds made up, but it is not. It is held in Congham in the UK. Of course it's in the UK. They have so many weird sports and the competitions in the UK. Well, they had the, the stone skipping. And the cheese chasing one as well. Oh, yeah. More than 200 snails reportedly take part every year. 
there is a snail master. Sky Sport once covered one of the world championships. Oh, the instructions are bring your own snail or you can purchase one of our thoroughbreds. The snail trade thoroughbreds. <laughs> you get a certificate with like the lineage and stuff. We're probably wondering... How does one compete in a snail world championship? So the snails are placed in the middle of a circular table (laughs) and the snails have to get from the middle to the 33-centimetre line as fast as they can. Two minutes is the record. (laughs) But that was actually set, I'm pretty sure, in the 70s. It's like the East German athletes of the 70s, the snails back in the day. (laughs) Yeah, the snails don't race like they used to. Uh, Interestingly, though, so this happened on Saturday UK time. They are yet to update their website with this year's winner. So I am uh, chomping at the bit to find out because the winner of the Snail World Champions gets lettuce. Mm. That is newsable for today. I think we'll round it out. I'm Imogen Wells. <laughs> I'm Emil Donovan. Catch you tomorrow. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz/support.